Guys and football-loving women, it's your year this year. Um, We're going to be talking a little bit about football, and we're going to do so by looking at a passage that I think just perfectly lends itself not only to football, but probably to most athletics. It's a passage that we find in the book of Hebrews, uh, the 12th chapter, verses 1 through 2, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. So if you've got your Bibles, and I hope you brought those along, uh, you can follow along on your own a copy of Scripture, or you can use the Pew Bible in front of you, or if you just want to watch it, it'll come up on the screen in just a moment again, Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2, where we read these words. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the author, and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. If you happen to to be listening to the first part of that, you'll notice that the the writer here said that we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, a great cloud of witnesses. Witnesses being those people who who observe, who watch the things that are going on around them. Uh, If you watch the Super Bowl uh, this afternoon, as most of us will, we will be joining what they're estimating to be a crowd of 193 million viewers watching the game. And that's just the people watching it on TV. It doesn't count those who are going to be listening to it on the radio or streaming it on their computers. 193 million people are going to be watching. And it should be a great game. Kansas City uh, against Philadelphia, uh, the, the Eagles against the Chiefs, uh, Mahomes versus Hurts. And even on paper, it looks like it should be a good game. There's only a, a point and a half spread between them. And so hopefully it will be a very competitive, one of those engaging kinds of games that we all love. And yet, good game or not, we know that people are going to be watching at the stadium in Arizona, on the screens in their own homes. And as we watch, us and and others, the commentators and so forth, we're going to be studying very closely everything that happens for about uh, uh, four, maybe five hours. We're going to be examining every tackle that takes place, every pass that is thrown, every uh, every, uh, hunt that's returned. Everything that happens, we're going to be watching it very carefully. And imagine what it would be like to live your life where for four hours or five hours, somebody's watching every single thing that you did. It's a little bit intimidating for most of us. But now imagine instead of 193 million that there were tens of millions, maybe hundreds of millions of other people that were watching. That great cloud of witnesses that talked about here If you go back to the 11th chapter of Hebrews, you'd see that there's reference to those Old Testament greats, men and women who lived out their faith in powerful and wonderful ways. But but we know that that doesn't end with the Old Testament times. That great cloud of witnesses continues on uh, for us. In fact, we've probably encountered some of them. Certainly some have lived in our generation. We think of of people like uh, Billy Graham and and others that are just stellar men and women of the faith. But but we've also probably had in our own lives individuals who are great uh, leaders in the kingdom. Now, they may not have received the accolades that, say, a Billy Graham does, but people like Sunday school teachers and youth leaders, hopefully a pastor, 
Maybe a neighbor or a family uh, member, maybe somebody at work. Individuals who lived out their faith in, in profound ways, strong ways, powerful ways that made an impact not only in your life, but in the work of the kingdom as well. And those individuals, they're, they're surrounding us. And why are they there? Are they just to, to watch us, to see how life goes? Well, part of it's to watch us. But that's not the main thing. The, the context that we read about here certainly conveys this idea of an athletic event. And they're there to cheer us on. They're there to inspire us, to encourage us. You see, they remind us that, that they're also disciples who have gone before and that they persevered through the, the challenges and the obstacles that they face. And if they can do it, we can do it too. In fact, it's interesting if we uh, look at the word witness. Um, it's really changed in its meaning somewhat over the years. When the, when the word was first created, witness were individuals who not only uh, watched something, but they had been past participants themselves. And it was a very active word. It was not a passive word. It's become, for the most part, a pretty passive word today. I, I love a definition I came across of what it means uh, to, to play football or to watch football. Several years ago, it was described in this way. A football game is where 22 people on the field desperately in need of rest are being watched by 60,000 people on the stands desperately in need of exercise. <laughs> and I think that's kind of what it's become. Uh, you know, people, whether you're in the stadium there or whether you're, you're watching at home, um, we're not individuals necessarily that, uh, that are, are uh, physically engaged in, in things. And yet, when we look at the word and its origins, the idea of, of witness wasn't just someone who watched something or, or was there to cheer on. It was individuals who watched and cheered on because they had experienced it themselves. And so if you were at a running event, it would be runners that would be in the stands. If you were at a football event, if you were watching everything that happened, the stadium would be filled not with just uh, different kinds of people from various walks of life, but it would be filled only with current and former NFL players. And imagine what the cheering would be like if that was the case. The hooping and the hollering, the shouting, the, the bellowing of, of, of encouragement because these guys would know. They know what it's like to, to be in that kind of environment. They know the sacrifice that it had to be made to get to that point. They knew how difficult and challenging it could be because they had lived it themselves. And the reality is that it can be difficult and challenging. What is required is a lot. In the Greek, the word for witness is martyr, from which we get the word martyr in our language today. And so when we talk about this, the sacrifice, we, we're talking about people who've lived it, who, who know that it can be hard to walk in the, the steps of Jesus. It can be hard to live the life that we're called to, and yet we can do it because they've done it. And they remind us that if they can do it, we can do it as well. And so as disciples, we should find ourselves invigorated, excited, uh, thrilled uh, by the reality that there are those saints of the faith, uh, some known, some unknown, some in years past, some of our own generation, who are watching down over us, encouraging us, inspiring us, again, uh, telling us that, that if they could do it, we can do it as well. I love the way Paul touches on this in the book of 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, where he says this. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and immovable. I love those two words, steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. 
until we've got these group of individuals, these, these cloud of witnesses that are watching down over each and every one of us, inspiring us, encouraging us, cheering us on. And cheering us on to do what? Well, in part, to throw off everything that hinders and entangles, the text in Hebrews tells us. Everything that hinders and entangles. For us to stand firm, we have to free ourselves from anything and everything that would cause us to trip up, to, uh, to stumble. Now, as we watch the football game, uh, we're going to see on the field that there are individuals who very much want to cause their opponents to, to be tripped up, to stumble. And they are big, burly guys who are going to do everything they can to knock the ball away, to throw a tackle, to, uh, to somehow keep the opponent uh, from gaining yardage. And the truth is that if you're uh, trying to gain yardage against someone that weighs 314 pounds and they're wrapped around your waist, that can be a difficult thing to accomplish. But as we think about it in our own lives, we see that even though we're not professional football players and we don't have to worry about those, those guys trying to tackle us, that there are still things out there that can trip us up, that can cause us to stumble. In fact, the, te the text tells us that they're described as hinders and entangles. And as we read that, we may think that, that these words sound synonymous. But they're not. They're actually very distinct words. As we think about that word hinders, it's referring to things that can weigh us down in, in, our, in our adventure, our journey with Christ. For, for athletes, it's things that would, would weigh them down in trying to accomplish what they're trying to do. And so you, you think of, of those who are, are, are maybe runners. Um, they don't want to be weighed down. So when they're training and they're out, uh, maybe even if it's a cold morning, you're never going to see a runner running with a parka uh, because it's just too much weight for them to have to endure. Or you think of the professional football players. You, you know, as they go in the, in the season leading up, they'll do all kinds of things to try to strengthen themselves. But you're never going to see them in uniform out on the field pulling these weights, are you? No. Because that would hinder them, that would weigh them down. And as Christians, we've got those things that weigh us down as well. Those things that can limit, that, that can restrict us. And so our, our goal is to cast them off, to shed them so that we can be the Christ followers that God wants us to be and that we want to be as well. To be men and women who, who strengthen the work of the kingdom and enjoy the benefits that God offers for those who are followers of his. And so we need to get rid of those things that would hinder us, those things that would weigh us down. And what are those things? Well, they're things like guilt and envy and anger, jealousy and worry, unrealistic expectations, unresolved disputes. All of those things can hinder us in our walk and our journey with Christ. And so through the power of the Holy Spirit, maybe in partnership with other believers that can, can come beside us, we need to find ways to shed those things off in our life. We need to get rid of those things that hinder. But the writer says that there's another category, and that's those things that entangle us. And when you think about entangling, we, we're thinking here of things that would wrap themselves kind of a, around our feet, things that specifically would, would trip us up. And that's why you see athletes, for the most part, uh, never wearing anything or not very much, uh, you know, sort of below the, uh, the calves or the lower legs, because they don't want to have that happen in their life. Now, we don't see that being the case today in athletic garb, but there was a day when that could be a, a situation. Uh, you go back far enough and you see the, the poor women of yesteryear who were playing tennis, and they wore these full gowns that they would, would put on. A part of that was for modesty's sake. But my guess is that it didn't take them too long to realize that just wasn't very practical. 
because you're always worrying if you're going to get tripped or stumble out on the court. And so as we look at uh, athletes today, we see, especially with women, that they're wearing shorts or, or, or skirts that, that are more athletically inclined because they know if they don't, that they run the risk of that oh-so-embarrassing uh, stumble where their, their shoe gets caught in the dress and they go tumbling down. That's why, guys, we don't uh, wear sweat pants for the most part in things that we do. Again, we don't want to run the risk of our shoes or our cleats getting caught in that and causing us uh, to falter or uh, to flounder. And so we try to be a people who, who make sure that we don't fall into that category of individuals who are entangled. And what are the things that entangle us as believers today? What are the things that would trip us up in our walk with God? Well, it's things that we're all familiar with. Things like greed and lust, coveting, possessions, power. Interestingly, things that, that oftentimes the world exalts, but that we know end up entangling us, pulling us away from the walk that God would want us to have with him. And so we have this great cloud of witnesses who are there. They're cheering us on. They're encouraging us. They know because they've done it themselves. And they tell us that we need to avoid those things that would hinder and that would entangle us. And instead... And there's the call for us to run with perseverance, that race that is marked before us. To run with perseverance, the race marked before us. And I would call your attention specifically to, to the latter part of that, the, the race marked before us. You see, the indication there is that someone has laid out the path that we're supposed to go. As you look at the fit football field, it's not the players that have gone out early and laid down the chalk lines. It's other individuals, officials who have put those out. As followers of Jesus, we need to, to follow that path that God has laid out for us. In Psalm 32, it's worded in this way. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. And again, I would call your attention specifically to that word should when God here is speaking to us, he's, he's saying that's something I would encourage you to do. That's something that, uh, that I certainly think is to your benefit. But he doesn't force that on us. He lets us make the decision. And, and so think of it this way. If you're, if you're going down this path, we can continue on in that path with God or we can veer off. Or we can go our own direction. Now, hopefully, eventually, we'll, we'll get back in line with what God would have for us as well. But the decision is ours. We can stay lockstep with God or we can try to, to go in our own direction. When we're, when we're staying with God, then that's marked by lives that are, are committed to hearing God's voice, to seeking his face, to discovering his truths, to obeying his commands. That keeps us where we need to be moving. But if we choose to go off on our own, well, then there's other things that are uh, marking that kind of life. We end up living a life that intentionally or unintentionally really is, is more fulfilling the will of the evil one than of God because inevitably what ends up happening is we end up pursuing our own path, our own direction, our own course. One where our focus is on what we want or what we need or what we believe or what we think rather than on the things of God. In fact, uh, what ends up happening is we end up, as we go on our own path, thwarting the things of God. We end up elevating ourselves above God, believing that, that we have the wisdom, the insight, the discernment, and the intelligence to know better than God the way things should go, which, of course, is never the case. Never has been, as we look throughout history, never will be. 
And so we need to get back on that path that God has. And as we look at this race that, that we're called to run there, it's, it's interesting as we, we break that down a little bit more because there's some things we need to know about that race. And the first thing is that the race isn't an easy race. In fact, it's probably the most challenging thing that we'll do in our lives. Again, if we, we look at the word in the Greek here for race, it's a, a word, agon, from which we get agony. It's a hard race that God calls us to. One that we can achieve, one that we can accomplish, one that we can thrive with. Remember, we got that great cloud of witnesses that's there for us. We got the Holy Spirit that's living within us. We can do that. But God has never uh, you know, tried to deceive us in that. He's always been honest. It's a hard race. And not only is it, is it a challenging, difficult race, uh, but it's a race that's not very popular. Jesus tells us that in his own words in the Gospel of Matthew, the seventh chapter, in this way. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. We're told here that, that there's this great cloud that's cheering us on. They're encouraging us. They know because they've lived it themselves. They tell us we need to make sure we avoid those things that'll trip us up, that will entangle and hinder us. And instead, we need to, to run with perseverance that race that the Holy Spirit, that God himself, has laid out before us. And what makes it easier to do that? Well, it's easier to do that when we have our eyes fixed on the right place. It's easier to do that when our eyes are fixed on Jesus fixed on Jesus. You know, in, in football, the object of the game is to get the ball over the goal line. Uh, you can do that by passing. Um, occasionally, you can do that with kicking, but, but oftentimes, that's accomplished as, as runners break tackles, and they make that sprint toward the, uh, the end zone, and, and as you watch them in the game, one of the things you see is that they are laser-focused on getting past that goal line. In fact, sometimes, just to make sure that, that nothing will keep them from that, they'll take the ball and they'll stretch their arms out even before they get their body there just to make sure that they break the plane and, and score that touchdown. They've got their eyes fixated on what it is that they're after in the same way. We need to have our eyes fixated on the things that are important for us, that being, being followers of Jesus if you look at, again, the original texture, we see that the meaning here is, is not only that we're fixed in terms of a physical sense with our eyes, but also incorporates a mental sense as well, that our thoughts as well as our vision are fixed or focused on what it is that we're striving for, which, as you think about it, really is actually very, very important. And this is what I mean. Have you ever had a situation in life where you, you've been observing something, maybe your eyes are looking at something, but your, your mind is a thousand miles away? Maybe it's at the workplace and you've got a department meeting and somebody's given a presentation or saying something and, and your eyes are looking at the person, but you're thinking about what's going to happen after work or how you need to get a vet appointment for the dog or how you still need to make sure you get the trash out on time. Uh, maybe it's while you're watching some boring uh, show on TV, and you know you should turn it off, but that requires you to get up off the couch. And so instead, you just you keep your eyes focused on the screen, but your mind's thinking of other things. I, I've heard that in some churches, uh, this even happens during the sermon. Now, uh, I know not here or in Valley Church, that doesn't, but in other places, I've heard that that can take place. 
And so it's important that, that when we think about this, that it's not only our sight, but our thoughts, that our minds are engaged as well. Uh, to me, the, the, the reality, the truth of this statement um, was the most profound in my life. Back in my college years, I grew up in Southern California. And while I was attending college for one period, about a year, I worked for a loan company. And I had to drive 45 minutes to get to that loan company. And I can remember on uh, too many occasions, I would pull into the parking lot of that loan company, I'd turn the key off, and I'd sit there for just a second, and it would dawn on me that I could not remember a single thing that had happened between the time I left my driveway and I pulled into the parking lot. Not a single thing. I don't know if I drove too fast. I don't know if I drove too slow. I don't know if I cut somebody off. I, I don't know if I maybe ran up against someone or, or uh, maybe ran a stoplight or a stop sign. I don't know. Now, I'm presuming that I did okay because there was never any damage to my vehicle and there was no flashing red lights that pulled into the parking lot with me. But truthfully, I don't know. My eyes saw they were able to get me to my destination. But my mind was not engaged. And Christ warns us against living lives that, that have that same kind of pattern. You see, we, we might have the sight, we might be able to, to get our foot in heaven, but when we stand before Jesus and he, he asks us, what did you, you do for the kingdom? We can say, well, you know, I, I remember saying that initial prayer, but after that, oh, Jesus, sorry. I can't remember a single thing. And so we're warned against that. We're told that we need to keep our eyes focused on Jesus, not just in terms of sight, but in terms of our minds as well. And if we do those things, if we, if we listen to the, the, uh, the great cloud of witnesses that surround us, as we listen to their cheering and their encouragement, the reminder that we can live that life of faithfulness, if we avoid those things that hinder us and tangle us, if we, if we run that race with perseverance that, that the Holy Spirit marks out before us, if we keep our eyes and our minds focused on, on being followers of Jesus, then what, what's the, what is it that comes at the end? Well, the reward, the benefit, as Jesus is described here, the joy. The text said, for the joy set before him, he, Jesus, endured the cross. Where was the joy? Was it in the cross? <laughs> no, there's no joy in the cross. When it talks about the joy set before him, it's talking about that which awaited after the cross. For you and me, it's the joy that comes because of the cross because of what Jesus did on our behalf. You know, in a few hours from now, 6.30, mm, 7.38, uh, there's going to be a winner declared of uh, Super Bowl 57. Happens every year. It's going to happen this year as well. And when that occurs, there's going to be lots of celebrating. There's going to be uh, people talking. And there's also going to be some, some tangible mementos signifying that. Uh, there's going to be... Jesus, yeah. Um, there is going to be uh, the Lombardi Trophy. There is going to be special T-shirts that have already been made for whoever wins the game. There's going to be those highly coveted rings that, that the players receive. And there'll probably be even more than that. Probably the governor of whichever state happens to win is going to declare uh, Monday a special, uh, special day in that particular state. There'll probably be a parade at some point for the players where they can go down and receive the cheers and, and then the adoration of, of all of the people in their community and, and in their state. 
And I hope for those players that it is a wonderful experience. I hope they can capture in their mind's eyes the, the sounds and the, and, the, and the sights and everything that goes with that. Because one of the things I know is that 365 days from now, they're not going to be the champions anymore. Uh, there's going to be a whole new team in all likelihood who's going to take on that, that label, best football team in the world. They're, they're going to be the, the team that's going to share the trophy, bear the title, wear the ring. And one of the great things, one of the great things about us as followers of Christ is that this joy that we just talked about, it's not limited to a week or a month or a year or 50 years. In fact, it's a joy that is with us throughout all eternity. It's a joy that's with us now as we allow the Holy Spirit to live out and through us. But it's a joy that will continue to be there forever and ever. You know, I, I don't doubt for a second that, uh, that these uh, players, whoever wins, is going to have a great time. And again, I truly hope that they do, just as I hope for, for everybody who's at the top of their game, who is, is the best in, in what they can accomplish. Whether it be uh, the Super Bowl or the World Series, the Stanley Cup, the Indianapolis 500, the World Cup, uh, the Olympics, whatever it might be, for those that are the best, I'm glad that there's accolades for them. We know that that didn't come easily, that there was a lot of time and effort and sacrifice invested. And yet as wonderful as those moments are for those individuals, for you and for me, there's something far better, far greater, far more, more wonderful as described for us in First Corinthians with these words. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. There is sacrifice that goes into that. They do it to get a crown or a ring or a trophy that will not last. But we do it to get a crown, a, a treasure, a reward that will last forever and ever and ever. And so as we wrap things up in just a few minutes as we leave here and, and head home to, to get ready for our own Super Bowl celebrations, I hope that we'll remember these things uh, that have been revealed to us today. That we'll remember that there is a great cloud of witnesses that's up there, that's watching over us, that's encouraging us, inspiring us, motivating us, not, not as some kind of some, um, spiritual couch potato, but as spiritual champions, as, as, as spiritual um, winners, as spiritual um, stalwarts that have been through what we're living and have come out standing steadfast and strong. That through that inspiration, we'll, we'll take what is required, and again, it's work, to throw off those things that hinder and entangle us. Oftentimes, the world exalts those things. But we know that it's contrary to God's will for us. And instead, that we'll run with perseverance the race that the Holy Spirit has marked before us. We do that by fixing our eyes, our attention, our thoughts, our minds on Jesus and Jesus alone. And as we do that, we'll then experience the joy. The joy in our day-to-day -day existence, the joy in our day-to-day -day lives, and the joy throughout all of eternity. Knowing that we'll be with the one who is the ultimate champion the ultimate victor, the ultimate winner in terms of things. You see, when, when we get to heaven, there's, there's not going to be um, a, a ring that's there, but there is going to be a crown for us that we can lay before Jesus. Uh, there's, there's not going to be this idea of, of um, 
titles to go uh, along with that because there's only one victor and it's the same victor every year. It's Jesus Christ because he's the one that has emerged uh, victorious over the power of sin and of death. And in terms of of labels that we might wear, well, we're not going to worry about uh, labels that might be in our shirts because there's only one label that really matters. And it's the label that lies at the one that we worship, the one who is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Folks, may we celebrate that. May we experience it. May we make this a part of our lives this day and every day. I'm going to close in a quick word of prayer this part, and I'm going to ask the Valley folks to make their way up. And so if you'll bow with me, let me just conclude our sermon time in a prayer. Father, we thank you for the truths that you have conveyed to us. Thank you for the wonder and the power of your word. And Lord, help us to realize that these aren't just truths given for somebody else. God, they're given for us. Help us to live out those things that you've called us to do, to be. Help us to embrace all that you have laid before us. May we do that this day and every day. In Christ's name, amen.